Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. I'm joined tonight, as usual, by Steve Fetch, but we also have special guest Carrington Harrison from uh, 610 Sports. How are you doing tonight, CDOT? Hey, how are you guys doing? I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm a little bit surprised that you guys are having a Missouri fan on during basketball season, but shockingly enough, Missouri is actually interesting this basketball season. Yeah, I know. It's kind of kind of crazy. And, and, and honestly, the, the timing is a little perfect just because – you know, the big news, and, and we actually have a, a Twitter question about this. I'm going to jump right into that because it's like kind of the one of the bigger things going on around college basketball, if you don't include the whole scandal update. Um, you know, it, it was announced recently that uh, there is a chance that Michael Porter Jr. could be coming back for Missouri. We did have from, uh, from Fizzle 406, is Porter playing this season? And if he can, should he play? I think that Michael Porter is going to play this season. I said this on the show today. If I had to guess, I think he plays February 27th against Vanderbilt. But should he play, I think, a little bit of it, you have to leave it up to Michael Porter. He just knows his body far better than I know his body. And this is something that I mentioned on the show a couple of weeks ago. I didn't hear many people on the show or many people in the public say that Michael Porter should sit out this season. Because everybody tells me about the benefits of playing college basketball, and I'm as big on paying players as much as anybody, or at least finding a way for them to profit off their own likeness. But I was never advocating for you just to sit at home, homeschool, like like you were LaMelo Ball and not play college basketball this season. So the belief is if you're fully healthy, you should play because there's certainly benefits about you playing against high-level competition. Why does that not still exist for Michael Porter? Like Marvin Bagley just missed the game on Sunday because he hurt his knee. I don't hear anybody saying that Marvin Bagley shouldn't try to come back this season if he's 100% healthy and cleared to play. Because if you're healthy, you should play. If Michael Porter doesn't want to play basketball this season at Missouri, just declare for the draft. I'm not going to fault you for declaring for the draft. But 
he's done everything this season to make you believe that he wants to play this season. He's been in every SEC road game this year. He's pretty invested, I would say, in this season. His brother's on the team. His dad is an assistant coach. He grew up every, I guess, since he was in fifth grade, I guess, other than his senior year of high school in Columbia, Missouri. I think he wants to play basketball this season. So if he's fully healthy and wants to play basketball and the doctor thinks that he's healthy enough to play basketball, I don't know why anyone doesn't want him to play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I would go and say that I, I don't think he, you know, should play or I don't want him to play. Um, I just, I, I guess, really the main question about it is, you know, if he's only able to end up playing, you know, six or seven games in the entire season, is he going to be able to do enough there to really make a difference in terms of where he goes in the draft? Obviously, if he really wants to play, like that's been his dream to play college basketball, and he wants to play with his dad or you know for his dad and play with his brother. I mean, I see no reason to, to, to fault him for wanting to do that. I think really where a lot of people are, are coming at it from is, you know, financially, does it make sense for him to expose himself to college basketball, um, you know, and, and kind of give the opportunity for him to maybe not play up to the level that people were expecting him from him or, you know, potentially getting himself re-injured at that point. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. If, if, he, if he really wants to play, there's no way that I can fault him for deciding to go ahead and play. This is where I think people are a little bit hypocritical, and I think people are talking out of both sides of their mouth, is it was never in Michael Porter's best interest to attend Missouri anyway. Like, the system forces you to go to college, and people can say that you can just go overseas, but come on, that's not realistic. The system is designed to push you to play college basketball for one season. But the likely scenario in this was that Michael Porter is going to get drafted in the top five, and he was never going to help himself that much by playing college basketball. I'm not going to make it seem like there's no benefit to playing college basketball, but how much higher can you go on the draft at number three, one or two? He was going to do that if he never played college basketball at all this season. I'm not hearing a lot of people have Michael Porter going ninth in the NBA draft. I, I'd be a little bit surprised if he got out of the top five. I think I mean, he's still 6'11". If he's fully healthy, I think he'll dominate the combine. I think he'll be clear, and I think that he'll go out and play. This is why I think people are kind of talking out of, out of both sides of their mouth is, man, if no one is advocating for these guys because of the one-and-done rule for them not to play college basketball at all, you guys can speak to this as KU fans with Josh Selby, man, playing in Kansas did not help Josh Selby. Now, maybe he wasn't the basketball player that we all had anticipated, but if Josh Selby is allowed to go straight from Baltimore High School to the NBA, he's picked in the top ten and is certainly in a much better situation financially. How was going to Duke help Marvin Bagley? He was going to be a top five pick if he went to Duke or not. So if we want these guys to play college basketball because of the experience and they're student athletes and the student comes first, then, man, let them get the full experience of what it comes to. And, again, no one on Missouri fan side or no one, I think, that's a fan of college basketball the way all three of us are fans of college basketball are advocating for Porter to play if he's less than 100%. Right. But if he's 100% to play basketball and he wants to play basketball, why should he not play if you thought he should play from the very beginning of the season? Yeah, good, good point. All right, before we uh, turn off all the uh, Kansas basketball fans that are, you know, tuning into the podcast, just one other thing. Um, you know, I'm looking at the SEC standings, and I'm really shocked to see, you know, Auburn and Missouri, two teams that did not get to play in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, uh, are two of the top three teams in the league right now and, and obviously Missouri's tied with a couple other teams at that third spot but um, you know it's been a it's been a crazy year all over in college basketball but I mean has, has there been any other league that's any crazier than the SEC this year no it's definitely not I mean Kentucky like 
I understand your listeners don't watch a lot of SEC basketball, and I don't blame them for not watching a lot of Missouri. Missouri is a better basketball team than Kentucky. Like, I have watched probably six of Kentucky's last seven games, and I just watched it in person when they played Missouri. Missouri is a better basketball team today than Kentucky. Now, Kentucky might have a better resume than Missouri, and they certainly have the cachet, but they are not a better basketball team today than Kentucky. I kind of wish – I remember the last time I came on you guys' show, we talked about the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Right. What I actually would kind of like for them to do is i like for them to kind of leave those dates open of – we know Kansas is going to play a team in the SEC. But maybe wait until January to announce what team they're going to play because it certainly would have been better for Kansas. It would have been better for Auburn if they would have waited until January for us to see, hey, Kansas shouldn't be playing Texas A&M. They should be playing Auburn in the SEC championship. Hey, MU's a better team than we had anticipated. Let's put Missouri in this and have them play a team like Kansas State. I just think if you're not going to do it the way the other conferences do and you're not going to do it at the very beginning of the season when we don't know enough about these teams so we don't really know yet who's bad or who's good and you're excited about the matchup, let's not wait until late January, February when a team like Auburn, who's the best team in the SEC and is going to be a two-seed or maybe better in the NCAA tournament, isn't included. MU could be a 5 6 seed. They're not included. Texas A&M likely is going to miss the tournament, but they are in it. It's just it's kind of reached the point like the NFL. It's hard to predict with the turnover and parity in the league who's going to be good year from year. So setting a, a Monday night football schedule in March, it's just really tough to do to ensure you get the best matchup. I'd like for the Big 12 SEC maybe to leave it open around January or kind of leave that date open around January announce when they want to have those games, kind of give themselves a little bit of a boost, a little bit of that press release bump and then kind of dictate the season from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I can definitely agree with that. Even if you do like what they used to do with the old bracket busters, uh, you know, where they said, this team knows that they have a home date, this team knows that they're going on the road, but exactly. we haven't paired them up yet and waiting until it's a lot closer. That way people still know they're going to be playing a, a high-quality, you know, SEC opponent or playing a Big 12 opponent on this particular date. You're either going to be at home or you're going to be on the road, um, but not knowing who it is. I mean, the only – the only kind of argument I can think against that would be, you know, when people are trying to build their non-conference schedules, you know, they need to be able to kind of balance based off of who they have um, in those other games. If you've got one game that could potentially be a really big game for you, or you're going to get, you know, you're not necessarily playing as well, so you need to schedule more big games in your other non-conference games, you don't really know that. You kind of lose that. Like, that's the only argument I can think of against it. So, like, a team – you know, a, a team this year, say like a, a Baylor, um, who's, who's struggling right now and, and would have needed a huge win, uh, even though they ended up getting to play Florida, and if they had pulled that game off and had won, it would have been a good win for them. Um, but, you know, if, if, if we waited until January to put that up, Baylor probably would have gotten paired with like a Vanderbilt or something like that. Um, so that wouldn't give them an opportunity to kind of work on their resume, and that might have affected – what they would have scheduled earlier in the season. Like, that's the only thing I can think of why you would say, no, we don't want to do it that way. But it, it definitely would make it a whole lot better for people to watch. You know, they would get the really good matchups. Um, and, you know, to, to be honest, I think it would give them the most exposure because West Virginia, Kentucky turned out to be a really good game. 
you know, Texas A&M play, ended up playing a little bit better than we than we thought. And, and honestly, looking at the beginning of the year, you probably thought KU Texas A&M was going to be a pretty good matchup after like the first three weeks. But it didn't end up being nearly as good of a matchup as, as we were hoping it would be. And, and as they, we could have gotten right if like an Auburn was in there and playing against Kansas or something like that. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, A&M, I guess maybe the last SEC point before we start talking about KU, I'm kind of interested in talking about KU, is A&M is probably this year a typical college basketball team. I think that A&M could go to the Final Four. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they pulled together some South Carolina run. Just what that college basketball is right now, I don't know if you can really be shocked if any team can win four games in a row. Right. And, A&M could also miss the tournament, and A&M could also lose in the first round to a mid-major and get beat by 15 points. Like, this is kind of one of those years, like we kind of talked about this on the show, is how many teams would you need for me to give you? Like I said, all right, who do you have win the national championship? You might say it's Virginia. All right, you certainly aren't taking Virginia against the field. I'll take that bet all day. How about Virginia and Duke? I'll take the field. Like, how many teams would you have to have? before you felt pretty confident that you have a national championship. I'm going to guess probably six or eight. How many teams would you need for the Final Four for you to feel comfortable that you had all four Final Four teams in your group at 15, 20, 25? Because nobody last year said South Carolina. So it just goes to show you, like, how weird college basketball has gotten over the last couple of years. And maybe that's just due to water down because of the one and dones or early entries and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure really what people want to attribute it to, but A&M is kind of one of those like prototypical kind of teams this year that I wouldn't be shocked if A&M made it to the Elite Eight. I also wouldn't be shocked if they didn't make the tournament. I wouldn't be shocked if they lost in the first round to Vermont by 12 points. Yeah, definitely. And and I mean, I, I think it's kind of you can say that about most of the teams in in the Big 12 too. Like, you know, with the exception of Maybe either Iowa State or Oklahoma State. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if any of the teams in the Big 12 got into the tournament and actually made a run to the second weekend. Um, I mean, mean, it's just the way that college basketball's been all year long. No, you're right. I mean, the Big 12, I think, is just – it's very weirdly balanced this year. Like, yesterday, if Kansas State had lost, I know they won. If K-State had lost, only three teams in the Big 12 would have been over 500 in conference play. Um, Oklahoma State would have been six and seven. Baylor would have been six and seven. Oklahoma would have been six and seven, and K State. So I mean, it's only four out of the ten teams that are over five hundred in Big Twelve play. Kansas State, they're five hundred. Obviously, Kansas, Texas Tech, and West Virginia are all over five hundred. So I, I'm with you on the Big Twelve. I wonder um, how much of our perception of the bottom of the league is just due to man. If you play in the Big Twelve. You get 18 opportunities to get a good win. Like, there's no bad win in the Big 12. You know, winning at Iowa State, even though they're down, is a good win. Like, I think it's a tough place to win. I wonder how much of our perception for teams at the bottom of the league in the Big 12 is so built on the fact of, man, you get nine home games against good teams. You're going to win three or four of those if you're even a halfway decent squad, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so so let's go ahead and pivot completely to the Big 12 now. Um, obviously, you know, Kansas had a had an interesting week, um, losing on Saturday at Baylor, um, and then winning a fairly close one at the end against Iowa State. Um, but you know, one of the things that that kind of struck me this this week is that you know, looking back at their record and and who they've played against and and the kind of the performances that they've had. 
Um, and, and Fetch and I were actually talking about this just a little bit ago. It seems like Kansas is having a real problem getting up against the, the lesser teams in the conference. Um, you know, with the exception of that loss at home against Texas Tech to, you know, at the beginning of the conference season, um, you know, all the rest of their, their losses have been against the lower tier or their, their tough games even have against, been against the, the lower tier of the conference. Is, is, do you think that there's anything to that, that maybe they're just having a problem with, with motivation this year? Or is it, you know, more of a depth issue and just having real problems with their lineup? Maybe this is a crazy way of looking at it. You guys can obviously tell me, but I think you're in a good spot to answer just because you've seen pros on your team. If you didn't have future NBA players on your team, this is just how college basketball is. And I think the KU has been very fortunate by the fact of, man, they've always had a lottery pick on their team and they've always had two or three guys that were going to play in the NBA. And a big reason why I think the tournament is so fun and it's so balanced is if you don't have future pros, your team is not much different than mid-major teams. You've got good college players playing against other good college players that the truly elite teams have that lottery pick or have a guy that you think can play in the NBA for eight to ten years. But I think the difference with this KU team is, I mean, who's the lottery pick on this KU team? Like, I, I would guess, I don't have the numbers in front of me because I'm driving, but I would guess seven of the last eight years KU has had a lottery pick or eight of the last ten years. And this year, KU just doesn't have a lottery pick. So if you don't have a lottery pick on your team, they're not that much different than anybody else. Now you're obviously different because you recruit at a much higher level than TCU or programs like that. But I think that's probably the bigger thing with KU this year. And if you really look at their roster from last season, I mean, KU doesn't really have a recruiting class. Now, Mark is a fine player, but he's probably two, three years away, I guess two years away, probably his junior year from kind of being the player that KU fans had anticipated. But you only lost from last year's team. You lost Frank Mason. You lost Josh Jackson. Who did you replace him with this year? You didn't really replace him with anybody. So I think KU is kind of facing normal attrition this year. And kind of what's, what has frustrated me as a Missouri fan, so to speak, is, man, Missouri fans were killed for the years that KU was having. But this year, just doesn't seem good enough to KU fans. Like, if you think about it, we all think the Big 12 is a good league. They're in second place with still a chance to win the league, and this weekend they're celebrating one of their national championship teams. If you solely went from Twitter reactions, you would think the case, like you would think that KU was Baylor. You would think that KU was Oklahoma State. They were five and seven in the league, hanging on, trying to make the tournament. KU's one of the ten best teams in college basketball this year, and all I hear about how this KU team isn't as good as all the other ones. Yeah, yeah, there's there's definitely been a lot of that. So, uh, but hey, hey, Fetch, do you want to jump in here and go ahead and answer what he was talking about? Oh, hey guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I just got to thinking. You haven't really talked yet, have you? <laughs> no, it's no, it's fine. Uh, it's it's not often we have uh, people who kind of know what they're talking about uh, as opposed to me. So, uh, first, I, I I just quick uh, looked it up, and uh, 2016 is the only year. Uh, seven of the last eight years, they've had a lottery pick. 2016, they didn't. Shaq Yellow was their only draft pick that year and he went in the second round but um i think part of it is uh just with regard to the lack of depth um they kind of have to find um kind of possessions and and minutes and blocks of time where they can rest whenever possible and i I think it's kind of natural to look at maybe oklahoma state and say well they're not very good we don't probably need to try very hard or or look at baylor and say well you know we usually 
beat them, they're not very good. We probably don't need to try very hard. Uh, and then you, you can't really um, recover from that when they get off to a good start, whereas, uh, you know, even though Iowa State isn't very good, I think, you know, it's, it's in Ames, and so they were maybe uh, trying a little bit harder than normal. So uh, I think that, that that doesn't really explain all of it, obviously. I mean, I think a lot of it is just they aren't uh, as talented because they don't have that uh, future pro, and I think the pieces don't fit terribly well uh, with each other, which uh, always hurts when you only have probably six or seven guys that you're playing. But I also think part of it is that uh, they're not maybe given a, a full effort in, in some of those games, which, again, I mean, they're, they're kids, so it's understandable. What's been really surprising to me is we all know that Bill Self, I think, is very, like, cyclical and very it's, – it's like clockwork. Always at the beginning of the season, he says this KU team maybe is as good as one thing in the past. We know around conference play, he'll question their toughness or something like that. I've been surprised at how frequently he's talked about effort, and it kind of it kind of brings me back to a conversation. I can't remember when it was. I think it was the Washington game because I actually went to the Washington game. And the next day, whenever we do the crossover between our show and the night shift, the guy that hosts the show, Ron the Show Hughley, he was saying how Vic looks like someone who knows that self can't take him out. And I didn't really understand what that meant because I'm like, I thought he played kind of fine. He just missed a lot of open jump shots. But I think that the lack of depth, you know if you make a mistake, you can't sit. Like to compare it to Missouri, whenever Missouri had a bunch of point guards, you could tell that these guys played a little bit differently because they knew if I turn the ball over, I am at the spit the moment I turn the ball over. Condo points to somebody, he would get it in there, and everybody knew. But I do wonder if the consistent effort from KU kind of stems from the fact of these seven guys know there's a team, and there's only so much Bill can do. Like, Bill can't sit certain people for a long stretch of the time. We also say that, like, minutes are, are the greatest motivator. Taking minutes away gets you to play harder and do those kind of things. Seltzer can't do that, but there's nobody to take Vic's job away. There's nobody to take Newman's job away. You cannot start me, but once I get in, I'm still going to play 27, 28 minutes of the game. So like, what was the real penalty? Yeah, yeah, and, and and honestly, I think not having Preston this year was a much bigger hit. Um, you know, just having the problems on the inside, you know, Azabuke dealing with all the foul issues. If you had a guy like Preston, and, and obviously, you know, there's really not much they can do about it at this point. Um, and especially since the only other guy coming off the bench uh, other than Lightfoot would be DeSouza. But, uh, you know, ha- having having just even one more big guy to, to kind of ease the transition there, um, you know, we, we, we've actually seen that the, the two big lineups have been at least somewhat effective at the end of the game. But once one of them gets a foul, you know, either Azubuke or Lightfoot, we have to go ahead and sit them because we don't have enough fouls to get. We've seen how they can rack up fouls really, really quick. Um, but yeah, I mean, kind of, kind of back to that point that you know, I think it's a combination of what Fetch was saying in terms of guys know that they need to get rest, so they're trying to find it whenever they can, which leads to lapses. And then when they do have the lapses, you're right, Bill Self cannot replace them with anyone else. He doesn't trust Cunliffe enough to re- to really play any significant minutes. Um, you know, and and the same with the Souza, like you can't really trust him to play significant minutes at this point. So we are down to just a few guys, and they all know that they're going to be playing at least 30 minutes. Uh, so, right, so they have to find times that they can take off, which leads to guys getting burned, that we're used to seeing them getting pulled out or used to seeing them bring in someone who can fix that issue. 
Um, but we just don't have it this year. Um, and obviously a lot of that's because of all the transfers we have. So we just didn't have the scholarship for him. But, you know, we've – Fetch and I have talked about this a lot. But, but what really got the ball rolling on this was Dwight Colby deciding to transfer last year. If he had stayed on this team, I think they would have had a really, really good team down low. Um, which would have solved a lot of the issues that we're seeing right now. So, um, but obviously nothing we can do about it at this point. So the, the hope is just that they can kind of get it together and, and find a way to catch Texas Tech at this point. So, yeah, no, I mean that, that's basically what it is. I guess what's been really surprising to me is I remember so much of the conversation was about Silvio DeSosa getting him eligible, and then I see the kid playing. I'm like, this is the guy that KU is trying so hard to get eligible. Like, it's not that good. Like that kid. Like, he went smart at Missouri, which, I mean, the third is the I think Missouri actually got a good But, like, this is the guy that KU fans were telling me, oh, man, when they get him, that was going to change things. This is the guy that was going to change things. I remember thinking whenever uh, Cunliffe was going to be eligible at semester, I'm like, oh, I had to get another body. Like, that's not that good either. But I think the self maybe overestimated the talent on this roster and felt like I can take more freshmen next year and I can take more transfers because this team's going to be good enough. But then you're right. Colby decides to transfer to Western Kentucky. Billy Preston's not eligible. And then you try to get um, Silvio DeSosa to reclassify. He's not as good as you thought. Like, this team, if they win the league this year, this is as bare bones as he's ever tried to do it at Kansas. Yeah, I mean, and and honestly, you know, the other guy that that was kind of thrown in the mix there that you probably didn't even think about because he was only in Lawrence for like two days was Jack Whitman um, was – transferring was going to be that, you know, that veteran guy to, to replace Dwight Colby and kind of give them, I guess, a, a steadying presence down low. But he got here um, and then two days later decided, no, I don't want to be here. I'm going to transfer out. So that, I mean, that kind of set us back a little bit too, so that we were relying on a guy like the Souza or Preston to really have to come in and be that, that extra presence. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that caused a lot of problems there. All right, so so um, moving forward here now, you know, we've got some big games coming up for Kansas, but everyone else in the Big 12 has a bunch of big games coming up too. So uh, Kansas welcomes West Virginia in on Saturday. College game day is coming to town. It's going to be a huge game, have huge implications. Um, but, you know, they, they have a, a nice stretch of three games of West Virginia and Oklahoma both at home, back-to-back uh, -back Saturday and Monday. And then next Saturday they go on the road to Texas Tech. I think that three-game stretch is kind of probably going to determine who who wins the Big 12, um, because if you look over on Texas Tech's schedule, you know they have they have their own huge stretch coming up in that in that same time frame. They have this weekend they go uh, to Baylor, then they go to Oklahoma State, and then of course they welcome Kansas in. Um, you know, but but then again, they still have to play at West Virginia, and then at home against TCU to end up the season. I mean, how how uh, I guess nerve-wracking is this final stretch going to be for that Big 12 title? And, and, and who do you have at this point winning the, the title there? I'm still going to take Kansas because until I see a team beat Kansas, I have to continue to pick them. And if you're going to tell me that what's stopping KU from winning the league is a home game on Saturday. The college game day is going to be there, and they are paying homage to the 2008 championship team. I don't think West Virginia is winning on Saturday. This is going to tell me it's a big Monday game, who I believe, and fetch tell me if I'm wrong, Bill Self has never lost a game as Kansas coach on big Monday at home. I'm going to take Kansas in that game against Oklahoma, especially because I think that Kansas could have won the first game but tried to use that with Udoka as more of a teaching lesson than needing to win the game. 
that maybe now they needed that game more than we thought. But I, not that I think Kansas threw the game. I think they were happy to lose it for the greater good of down the line. And Yudoka's hitting free throws recently. And it's going to come down to a one-game playoff against Texas Tech, who doesn't have a parole. KU's got the better coach. Like, I've, just, I've seen KU do this too many times for me not to pick them in this scenario. I told myself this probably whenever KU got to, like, nine. I'm going to take KU every year until I see another team or KU not win it two years in a row. Then I'll open myself up to the possibility of another team doing it. But it's just I'm going to need to see another team not KU out in order for me to do it. It's kind of like that thing about the champion. Like if you're in a boxing match, you've got to knock the champion out. Like you're not going to win on the card. i got to see that same thing with Kansas. Like i got to see Texas Tech beat Kansas next Saturday for me to think that KU's not winning the league. And not only that, I mean, if it if it was at home against Texas Tech, just the way that they've been playing at home this year, I mean, I think I would be a little bit more worried about it. Um, which is really, really weird to say. Like, you know, the, it, I, I said it in one of our predictions. I think it was actually right before the Baylor game, which is a wonderful, you know, thing to say before they lost on the road. But I'm more comfortable with this team playing on the road than at home for whatever reason this year. They just seem to play with a lot more intensity when they go into the hostile environment. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think honestly, you know, if, if they had lost on the road to Texas Tech to begin the year and then had them at home at the end of the year, I probably would be a little bit more worried at this point. Um, also kind of to your point with the Oklahoma game, not only did they kind of teach, you know, they were using that as, as a teaching moment, but Trey Young has run into some real serious issues recently. Um, you know, so with, without him firing on all cylinders, I think that kind of gives them a step down. Um, you know, so I, I, yeah, I, I think I agree with you at this point that, I mean, Kansas probably has the best road at this point, um, even being one game behind Texas Tech. But um, it's definitely been a very, very tense, uh, a, a very tense environment around the site and for a lot of Kansas fans. So. It's yeah. crazy to hear a KU fan say that you'd much rather play on the road than at home. Because I know, I know. I, I, I think when you really think about it with KU, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on you guys' podcast, I think the KU has the best home court advantage in major college basketball and major pro sports. I can't think of a team that has a better home feel. Like, I mean, it's, it's a Patriots-level dominance when it comes to a home. I remember one time I was talking to Blair Kirkhoff, and we were having a conversation, and he said that he thinks that Kansas basketball is the best team to cheer for outside of Alabama football. And it got me thinking. I was like, man, that sounds kind of crazy, but it makes a lot of sense. You know, they always win their league. They always win when you go. So, like, if you travel to home games, they always win when you go. Their conference tournament is always 45 minutes from their home venue. They're always going to get a favorable seat in the NCAA tournament. It's always going to be within driving distance. Like, and Kansas basketball is actually pretty sweet, you know. Um, that it's just it's crazy to hear. Uh, it's crazy to hear as a non-KU fan you say I much rather play on the road than at home, and I can't really argue it, you know, with given how this season's on. Yeah, yeah, and you know, kind of the biggest stat and one that we didn't think was ever gonna, was was going to flip, especially this year. Um, you know, coming into this year, Bill Self, I believe, only had ten losses in Allen Fieldhouse. And he had 13 conference championships. Like, with this last loss that they had against Oklahoma State, like, finally now he has as many losses in the building as he has conference championships as the Kansas head coach, 
which is just absolutely insane to think about. Um, you know, that's how dominant they've been in the last, you know, since since Self got here, and and obviously even before then, they they were pretty much just as dominant with all the other coaches. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely one of the best home field advantages to have. I do think, in some sense, though. You know, you can have a lot of teams that are coming in to visit that get extremely fired up playing in a place like Allen Fieldhouse because people talk about how it's, you know, one of the top top few venues in the nation. You know, everybody likes to, to have that opportunity to go play there. Um, you know, you have all of the, the, the buy games where usually what the people are talking about coming out of the buy game is, man, it was so great to be able to play at Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, we lost by 40 points, but, you know, it was great to have that opportunity. What usually sets it apart is that Kansas usually is – much more talented than the teams that are coming in. And so usually, you know, that's why I think that they've had been so dominant there. Um, this year, they're just not more talented than everybody. Everyone else is, is kind of on a, a fairly equal footing, um, like you were talking about, you know, with, with KU not having a clear-cut lottery player or even a clear-cut NBA, you know, uh, draft pick at this point. I mean, like, I think there's guys that would go, but I, I can't, I can't tell you for sure that, you know, anybody on this KU team would get drafted this year with, especially with the way that some of them are playing. So um, yeah, there's not the talent gap we're used to seeing. So this year they're just, they're not as dominant at home. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, they have more losses at home than they have in true road games. Um, so it's just, it's really, really weird year for all of that. So, all right. Uh, see, I, I know you need to get out of here soon. So real quick, Fetch, did, did you have anything else you want to talk to him about? Uh, no, I, I was just going to, going to make the point quick and then, yeah, see that will let you get out of here. But, uh, with regard to the Texas tech game, it seems like every year during the streak, there's that one game that Kansas needs to win, uh, against another top contender. And, and I always go back to the, uh, uh, the 2013 game at Oklahoma State, uh, that was, you know, the Marcus Smart backflip year when they won at Allen Fieldhouse, and then Kansas lost uh, the Topeka YMCA game to TCU and then lost to Oklahoma. And uh, both came into that game 9-3, and three and, and uh, Kansas won the game by a point in double overtime and then, uh, you know, won the league by a game. And it just seems like every year there, there's a game like that uh, where they win. Um, so, obviously, Texas Tech – Looks good now. I mean, they're seventh in Ken Palm, and, and I think it's fair to say they're the best team in the league uh, right now. Although I still really like West Virginia. I don't know. I'm I'm alone on that bandwagon. But uh, regardless, I think that, you know, Kansas, um, when next Saturday rolls around, I mean, I'm probably going to pick them to win that game. Uh, so, uh, I mean, it just, like CDOT said, I mean, he made the point that, you need to see them lose before you pick against them, and I, I kind of agree with that. Just because we've seen uh, too many times where it, it looks like they're down and off, and then they win. So uh, that was pretty much the only point I wanted to make. Um, other than that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, uh, maybe we're gonna have to have you back on when uh, Kansas and Missouri inevitably get matched up in like the second round of the tournament. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, we absolutely know that's gonna happen, and I guess to Fetch's point. The game against West Virginia, I think, showed you the biggest difference, I think, between KU and the other teams in the league. I think KU knows they can win the Big 12. I think other teams think they can win the Big 12. And that's a big difference. I mean, West Virginia, who we agree has the second-best home court advantage in the league aside from Kansas, they're 18 at home. They don't lose 18-point leads at, at the crib. You just you don't do it. Yeah. And the fact that and, and it wasn't like KU won on the last shot. KU got themselves back in it and won kind of comfortably at the end of the game. 
that man, that just goes to show me that these other teams think they can win the league, and KU goes into it every year that they do it. That I made the analogy on the show. I went to college uh, in Joplin, so I, it, I was always close to a Web City football, and I saw how Web City football they were like they would breed kids that their goal in life wasn't to be a doctor, their goal in life wasn't to be a lawyer, their goal in life was to play football at Web City. It was a mentality. And I think that Web City would beat teams before they ever stepped on the field because those other teams knew they couldn't beat them because it's Web City. And I've seen KU do that same thing to teams for so long. Hell, to Baylor. Man, KU has had mind control over Baylor, I feel like, for 15 years when it comes to in out or, or when it comes to, uh, I can't think of the coach off my head. Uh, right, true. Yeah, it's like right. they've had that. Uh, they've had that over them for so long that I gotta. I guess when it comes to these other teams, I gotta see a team not take you out. Texas Tech has done some good jabs. Like I thought, beating Oklahoma a couple of days ago was a really big win because I just knew they were gonna lose and the league was gonna fall apart for KU. Like I knew it was gonna fall apart, but they they beat Oklahoma. Now you know KU is going to be focused. It's not like Bill has to do a lot of motivating to get KU to play at Texas Tech to win the league. I got to see a team in the Big 12 not KU out because we haven't seen that in 14 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and by the way, so so the listeners don't think you're crazy. You had the right last name, but the wrong first Scott name. Drew, Scott Drew. Drew, right? Not not yeah, not right Drew. Drew. Although I almost did the exact same thing on one of our previous shows, so I, I don't blame you at all. I want to um, I want to interrupt here, real super quick. Sorry. Uh, did did you go to you went to Missouri Southern? Yeah, I did. What what are your thoughts on uh, being coached by a Jayhawk? Then I like Jim Boshi. He's always been really cool. Whenever I talk to him, I always say. I don't really have any problem with KU players. Like, I did uh, Big 12 Media Day this year. And Devontae Graham was really cool. Malik Newman was really cool. He was playing cool. We were sitting there, we were talking, and they were all playing, you know how on iPhones you can play, like, all those games and stuff? They right. were all playing Uno. We were all laughing and joking and talking and having a good time. Every time I've ever had interaction with a KU player in person, it's always gone really, really positively. And I understand why KU fans are this way, but I just hate how arrogant KU fans are. But I guess I'd be arrogant, too, if my team won every single time. And I, I looked this stat up because I was really curious uh, when the case played. And I think you guys actually retweeted me when I did it. Kansas State and KU have played 70 games since 1990. KU has won 63 of those. I would talk down on Kansas State, too, if I beat you every single time we played each other. Missouri, <laughs> you still can never be better than us. So I understand why they're arrogant. But if you're Charlie Brown and you never get to kick the football, you hate Lucy. Kansas is my Lucy. So I, I, I hate their fan base, but their team's actually pretty cool. Yeah, Boshi's uh, uh, my favorite Jayhawk of all time because he's from – well, I'm from North Dakota and he's from North Dakota, so – that's uh, that's what got me into K basketball and got me to law school down there and everything. So he probably owes me like a hundred grand for going to school there. But uh, so anyway, yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll let you go. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, again, I'm sure the second round uh, tournament matchup is going to happen, so we'll have to do some sort of like charity bet or something for that when it does. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we all- we all know that it's going to be MU's going to be the. No, this is what's going to happen. And I love this. This is what's going to happen. MU's going to be the seventh seed in Wichita, and KU's going to be the two seed. Yep. And Missouri's going to lose in heartbreaking fashion to a big major <laughs> team. So then the matchup that we all anticipate for and you buy tickets for, Missouri's going to lose in the first round. Like, I, <laughs> like 
it's just it's just too perfect this year, and all of us are anticipating Missouri being in the same bracket as KU, that it will not work because it's Missouri. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's fair. All right. Oh, hey, real, real quick, with the Olympics going on, um, before we let you go, you have you been watching much of the Olympics? And, and if so, what's what's your favorite sport to watch that you don't usually get to watch, except for when the I Olympics? I haven't watched in. any Olympics that I've turned on myself. I've seen the Olympics on television when I've been out places, but I have. Um, I actually think the problem, I guess, so to speak, with the with, with the Winter Olympics is. Isn't this all sports that I've never done before? That's the Summer Olympics. All of us have ran before. All of us have tried to throw something as far as we can throw it. Man, I've never, I've, I've gone skiing two times and I absolutely hated it. What the hell is curling? Like, I don't know what any of these, I don't know what any of these sports are. So why would I ever want to watch it? I'm sure they're fine. I'm sure that it's competitive. And maybe I'm supposed to watch it because I work in sports talk radio. But I have absolutely no interest in anything that's going on in the Winter Olympics. The only thing I know about the Winter Olympics is Sean White is maybe a creep, and I know about the uh, the Chloe Kim girl because she's maybe the greatest tweeter since Christy Teigen. That's literally all I know about the Winter Olympics. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll go ahead and leave it there then. Uh, thanks again for joining us, Dot, and we'll uh, let you get back to what you have planned for the evening. So thanks again. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Well, um, so Fetch and I are going to go ahead and just keep going for a little bit longer because we, we we want to talk a little bit more about the games that we have coming up and, and all of that. But uh, we definitely, you know, with with the national news related to Missouri, it was, I thought it was a perfect time to get kind of an outside perspective. Also, because, you know, Fetch and I have been talking to each other like crazy and, and really kind of going over the same points over and over again. It's nice to get yeah, an outside we perspective. Have. So. We can edit out the part where he ripped on curling, right? Oh, I, I, I'm thinking about it. I, 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 just, I don't understand why he's ripping on curling. You know, that was, that was yeah, that's Missouri fan is one thing, but uh, ripping on curling is kind of the last straw. Or maybe we just leave it in there and then rip him on Twitter for it later. There you go. Yeah, there, there we go. go. Okay. Well, well, yeah, we'll leave in all of this where we're, uh, you know, killing him. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So. Um, you know, we 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 kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but obviously the uh, the, the game at Baylor was not a good showing for Kansas. Um, did you have any main takeaways from that game? Anything that concerned you going forward, or was it kind of just another one of those, you know, really really bad nights for Kansas that hopefully they can shake off? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was kind of like the uh, kind of like what I talked about uh, earlier, where it was just they they came out a little sluggish and, and kind of got burned by it. I did notice, I mean, going through the uh, uh, box score that I mean they were six of thirty one from three, and Baylor, you know, shot fifty three percent from three. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where it it just you know you don't expect Kansas to shoot six of thirty one from three very often, and um, I mean they were missing. Pretty good shot, and and uh, you know, Svee getting elbowed in the face in pregame obviously didn't help. So, uh, yeah. not not really worried. Obviously, it it really sucks for their Big Twelve chances, but I mean, as long as uh, you know, I guess the streak isn't as important to me as it is to a lot of people. I mean, obviously, I want them to have it, but not as not as important to me as as you know, making a deep run in the tournament. So, hopefully, as I heals up and. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the only thing that really stood out for me uh, from that Baylor game, and then Iowa State. Um, you know, I thought they did uh, actually a, a pretty good job. Um, I mean, fifty-eight uh, percent on twos, which is 
pretty good. I mean, a lot of it obviously is as a rookie. I think getting him 10 shots was kind of the key. Uh, in that first game, you know, he was able to do basically whatever he wanted, uh, but he only got, I think it was five shots in that first matchup. And, and so to double that was, was nice. And you really got to take advantage uh, of those matchups when you're facing a team that doesn't really quite have the uh, inside presence like in Iowa State. Um, right. Defense, again, obviously, uh, you know, kind of back to being worrisome, especially uh, on twos, which, you know, uh, kind of one thing that I wrote uh, for the site a few years ago now is that teams that are good on offense and bad on defense tend to do better in the NCAA tournament than vice versa, uh, just because uh, teams that are bad on defense tend to maybe relax a little bit every so often, whereas there's never really going to be a possession that you relax uh, on offense because everyone's obviously trying really hard to score and, and get the stats and everything like that. So, uh, and, and, you know, I think the uh, having the longer TV timeouts and everything and more time to adjust just kind of naturally makes everyone's defense play up a little bit better. So um, I'm not, not super worried uh, as far as, I mean, I don't think it's going to be this bad in the NCAA tournament, but I also kind of in back to being, Worried. Uh, yeah, I mean, not, no, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. Maybe worried, but it, it's not fixed, I guess. You know, they're after the the K-State game uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, I mean, Jesse wrote that thing uh, about, you know, giving up open threes and stuff. But when I took a look back at, at some of the screenshots that he had and, and some of the other shots, uh, they, they weren't really as open as uh, he made them out to be, I don't think. Um, and then, uh, against TCU, who is one of the best, you know, offensive teams in the league. They're still the only team that's held TCU under a, a point per possession uh, yeah. in big ball play. So, uh, you know, that was another one where you're like, well, maybe they maybe they are fixing it and stuff, but uh, maybe not. Well, I mean, to to go back to the Baylor game, I mean, there were, there's a couple of things that kind of jumped out at me while I was watching the game. It was one, it seemed like they, they were whistling like crazy. I mean, even minor contact down low was getting called. Um, you know, KU had Mitch Lightfoot get five fouls and Azubuke got four fouls. Uh, you know, and, and then Svi got four fouls. I mean, but they but there was a lot of fouls called, especially on big men inside um, in that game. So that definitely kind of played more to what Baylor was, was able to do, especially when you, you know, add in the fact that KU shot under 20% from three. Um, and of course, Baylor shot, you know, over 50% from three. So when you have that disparity, yeah, that's going to, that's going to cause problems. But I think a lot of that was that Kansas never really got into an offensive flow. Um, defensive wise against Iowa state. I mean, I, I don't know that I was necessarily too upset with the way that the offense was going. I mean, you know, they they were – or I'm sorry, the defense was going. Um, I mean, yeah, Iowa State scored 77 points, but, you know, Iowa State has quite a few guys that can get pretty hot. Um, you know, Lard, I think, scored a little bit more than he probably should have. I think Azubuke got a little hesitant once he picked up his third foul with like 20 seconds into the second half, um, which opened up a little bit more for him. Um, but, I mean, overall, I, I, I don't know that I was necessarily too upset with the defense. Yeah, you never want to give up that many points when you, you know, are having those kind of problems. But I think Iowa State's a little bit better offensively than a lot of people give them credit for. Um, but back to your point about, you know, the defense 
not necessarily being as important to be a huge, you know a very strong defense going into the tournament. Um, you know, w- when you when you make your calling card on defense, you have to be that good all the time, because any other team can you know you know if 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 your hallmark is defense and your offense isn't really that great. Um, yeah, you're going to stop them from scoring, but you're not going to be scoring enough to put the distance that you need for your, you know, lockdown defense to really uh, put the game away at that point. So if you're not able to do that, you know, obviously uh, you're going to give other teams a, a much better chance. And like you were saying, you know, people are locked in a lot more on the offense. They're not dealing with, um, you know, like the sore legs and all that stuff as much with longer TV timeouts. Uh, if you're a really good offensive team, there are going to be times where you're just able to, to, you know, run away from other people. And no matter how good they are on offense as well, if you're clicking, you know, then they're just not going to be able to catch up no matter how bad your defense is. So, um, yeah, I definitely think that offense is probably more important um, and guard play specifically. So Kansas has great guards going into the tournament. I do think that they're going to have a good chance there. Obviously, I think the more important thing right now is to see if we can manage to get that, that number 14. So real quick, I, I know that we need to wrap up here. Um, so looking ahead, obviously, you know, we, we, we talked about this a little bit. We have West Virginia and Oklahoma at home back to back Saturday and then on big Monday. And then we go to Texas tech um, and any worries about this or like anything specifically that jumps out to you for this slate that we have coming up. Um, I, I'm a little worried about how they're going to respond to the the West Virginia press. I mean, obviously they had that big comeback, but remember the first half was terrible. So I'm a little worried that that's going to happen again. Um, that's kind of the main thing that I'm worried about for West Virginia. Obviously, uh, Trey Young has been in a little bit of a slump for the Oklahoma game, and and maybe he bounces out of that. And and I mean, I made a joke on Twitter that you know he was. Uh, shooting 34% now on threes uh, in conference, uh, which you'll obviously live with. And, uh, but, you know, just in time for like a seven of nine uh, explosion against Kansas. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's kind of the main thing I'm worried about there. Um, and then, and, you know, Kansas had, had a lot of trouble drifting off of uh, Brady Manick in that game too. And I'm a little worried about that too, because he's um, obviously not as good of a, a shooter as Trey Young is, but, um, definitely a, a really good shooter in his own right and someone that you can't leave and Kansas has kind of a habit of leaving those guys. So that's kind of the main thing I'm worried there. And then uh, Texas, I mean, it sounds so weird to say because, you know, they're in first place, but of the three, Texas Tech is like the matchup I'm least worried about. Um, you know, their offense is just really bad, um, which uh, really helps. And I think some of the stuff that they do defensively, um, you know, they depend a lot on forcing turnovers and stuff. And uh, Kansas has turned it over uh, more lately, but still on the season, they're, you know, first in the Big 12 in terms of turnovers. Uh, and they do a really good job just in general of taking care of the ball. And um, Texas Tech, uh, you know, gives up quite a few threes, although, you know, they did a pretty good job limiting them uh, in the first game. But, Kansas also missed a lot of open looks, and I just think they they match up uh, pretty well with Texas Tech. So um, it, it's weird to say that you know a game against the conference leaders and a game that you definitely need to have in order to continue the streak is the one that you're um, least worried about, but um, probably the case given maybe some of the stylistic issues they have with West Virginia and Oklahoma. 
Yeah, well, you know, the other thing to think about, too, is, you know, this, this Texas Tech team has had their own problems at home. Um, you know, they barely beat West Virginia. Like, they haven't actually lost a game at home yet in conference or at all. Um, but, you know, they barely beat West Virginia on a last-second shot that they honestly, um, you know, there was a lot of questionable um, play going on there. Like, I, I mean, yeah, they ended up winning that game, but they easily could have lost that game. They easily could have lost the game against Texas, too, the one that went into overtime just a couple weeks ago. Um, so, you know, if they lose one of those games, then they're still tied with Kansas, and I think the narrative right now would be completely different. Like, nobody would, would be super worried about Texas Tech if Kansas and Texas Tech were tied at this point, right, with the slates that they have and the problems that they've had with some of these teams. Um, and the fact that, right, their offense – I mean, their offense just really – it, from Big 12 standards, really is not that great. Um, and so, I mean, they're 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 sixth in the conference um, right now, and they've they've had some real real big issues. I mean, losing two straight at Texas and then at Iowa State. So it's not like, you know, we're saying that they're gonna they're they're gonna be undefeated for the rest of the of the conference schedule. I mean, I think that that's you know, if if I had to pick now, I would say that they're probably gonna lose at least one, probably two. Um, so yeah, there's definitely the, uh, the opportunity for Kansas there. So, all right. And then we'll definitely break down that game a lot more when we get closer to it. Uh, we'll have another podcast next week before that game. So, uh, so real quick, I know that, I know that we both need to go ahead and get out of here, but you know, I want to go ahead and turn the time over to you. If you have one here, another sports minute, I, I'm assuming it's going to be about the Olympics again, but I, I will let you yeah. go ahead and get yeah, it going. They are, uh, they're in full swing. I have so much stuff that I don't even <laughs> really know, uh, how to narrow it down. One thing, I guess I, I do, uh, a couple things I want to point out that are kind of cool and maybe only to like winter Olympics people. Um, there, uh, was a, uh, event called the snowboard cross, which was on last night, which is where, um, people, uh, race down a hill, basically, right. uh, down a course. And the way they do it is they, uh, everyone goes in like a time trial and then they seed everyone. And then they have a quarterfinal, semifinal, final type deal. And in the semifinal, it's, it's six snowboarders for three spots. And so the first three finishers get to the final. So, uh, in the, uh, in the second semifinal, um, some guy was going over a jump and, uh, crashed. And oh, man. the next, the next guy came and hit him while he was on the ground. And then like the third guy crashed too. So there was one guy way in front of the pack who won the race by like a minute. And then the second guy came and then everyone else had to scramble to get up and, you know, tried to finish third to see who would, uh, who would do it. So, um, <laughs> awesome. yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty interesting. I won't, I won't spoil all of what happened, but I will note that Spain got its first Olympics winter medal since 1992, I believe. Um, wow. one other, one other, uh, interesting thing that happened was, uh, Ted Jan Blumen, who is a speed skater from Canada. Um, he's originally from the Netherlands, uh, 2014, he missed, the Netherlands uh, Olympic speed skating team. Uh, his dad is from Canada, so he moved to Canada, and uh, he actually won gold in the 10,000 meters today, beating uh, Sven Kramer, uh, well, among other people, but Sven Kramer, who is considered the best long-distance uh, speed skater in the world. So uh, a couple of interesting things that have happened uh, at the Olympics. Obviously, there's a ton more, but... Uh, I probably should have talked about curling just to rub it in to, to see it out a little bit more, but I, I didn't. That's, well, why I, that's why I don't talk uh, on the radio for a living like he does. 
Right, exactly. <laughs> I can't I can't tie it all in. Yeah, it was. Uh, I gotta stop coming on this thing because within the first ten seconds, you know, of, of his intro, I was like, oh, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a little different talking with people that that you know do this for a living. But you know, that's kind of why I like to talk to them too. It gives them a different perspective. It helps us to make sure that we're staying grounded, that we're not you know being the weird, obnoxious, obsessed fan that thinks that they're <laughs> yeah. always right about everything. A little humbling to you know realize that maybe I I don't know quite as much as I think I do. <laughs> um, but it's also kind of nice to know to to be called the more of a KU expert than a guy that probably talks about them a lot more than we do so um but yeah yeah with the olympics i think i would be more willing to talk about curling if the u.s was doing pretty well in curling right uh, now and, uh, yeah the the mixed doubles team bombed out pretty early um there was talk about they maybe could have competed for a medal um but they bombed out extremely early so um but yeah you know i think i think snowboarding has been the most successful i think for the for the for the u.s although we're now we're getting into the downhill events um where, you know, I think it's uh, Michaela Sh- uh, Schifrin, yep. Schifrin you know, yep. has been skiing. I think she already has two gold medals at this point. So uh, one, one gold going for a second one uh, in about probably an hour here. Oh, okay, okay. I, I was rereading the one that she won yesterday and thinking that it was a second one. So, uh, but, yeah, so it's, uh, it's definitely been an interesting Olympics. Um, I haven't, you know, I think my favorite event that I haven't really been able to, to watch too much of would be speed skating. So uh, I really like the short track, especially. And, and, and I, you know, I think that's why I like the snowboard cross so much as well, because having the having them go directly up against each other has just adds that extra ex- excitement when everybody's racing against the clock. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of exciting to see if they can, you know, get the splits and get faster, all that. But with the different conditions, especially those outdoor events, can potentially affect the times and that, you know, it's not that direct competition. Um, it's a lot more exciting to see these, these heats uh, with the, with the short track, um, you know, but, or also with like the snowboard cross where they're you know, actually racing each other. So definitely um, events to watch. If, if you guys like those sorts of things, uh, there, there's so many different things though at the Olympics. It's so easy to find something, even an obscure thing that you've never heard of before um, that, that is fascinating that can keep your attention for a while. So, all right, Fetch, any other thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, nope. All right, sound, sounds good. So, yeah, thank, thank you guys for listening. Fetch, thank you again for joining me. Um, for those of you guys listening, you can always get in touch with us on Twitter, at Rock Chalk Talk. You can email us. Um, it's rctsbn at gmail.com. That's rockchalktalksbnation at gmail.com. Um, you know, uh, obviously subscribe, rate us on, on iTunes. We would love to have five stars from you guys. We, we, we uh, definitely get a benefit from that, you know, getting out there to more people so that they can, can, can get involved as well. If you guys have any questions, make sure you contact us. If you have any suggestions, make sure you contact us. If there's anything you really want to be hearing here that we're not doing, let us know because, you know, I, I definitely want to do something that is what you guys want to listen to. So, um, again, if you have any of those suggestions, definitely let us know. Um, but until the next time, uh, we, we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Talk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.